0: Main Street to Wall Street, global business celebrity and former Fortune 100 C-Suite executive Jeffrey Hazlett takes you inside the good, the bad, and the ugly of businesses today. Saddle up. It's time for All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett.
1: Hey, my guest today is a storied career, elevating brands by combining business with human and cultural perspectives. As a result, he has been a true agent of change and been a catalyst in transforming many companies across multiple industries. I'm telling you, this guy's got experience all over the place. He's worked for such companies as Def Jam Records. He's worked for Pepsi. He's worked for BuzzFeed. And now, Frank Cooper is our guest today. He's the Chief Marketing Officer at BlackRock, and he's responsible for the company's marketing, combining the science of data-driven, technology-centered approaches with the art of creativity, culture, and purpose. You're going to hear culture come out of this interview as we talk about a lot of different things, especially all the things that are happening with us today. He's here today to address that last taboo topic, which is wealth. Frank, welcome to All Business with Jeffrey Hazel. Jeffrey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Appreciate it. You know, I sit here look at all the things that you've done, and you've been on my TV show before. You've been on, you've been at my conferences before. I think this is our first time, at least, talking face to face or you know, ear to ear on the on the uh, podcast. But you, if I look at your background, Def Jam Records, Motown, yeah. PepsiCo, Buzzfeed, and now BlackRock. Tell me about that trajectory and why financial services, why the big money stuff?
2: Right, right. Well, look, I mean, back when I did it at first, um, people considered that incredibly. They considered it insane. Actually, they're like, "There's that's no way to build a career." Um, um, You know, it's it's a fractured way to 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 kind of move through uh, various industries. I actually think that's becoming more the norm. You know, more people are going to have to adapt to different industries. Uh, You know, fifty percent of the people born. Today, uh, will work in industries that don't even exist today, and so I think that's the way that it's headed. Um, but at the time, it seemed crazy. But there are a couple of defining moments for me in my in my life that 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 led me to this place. Um, and one was I was a law student. I was uh, second year uh, out of Harvard Law, and uh, and I had this great summer associate experience. And one a uh, partner kind of took me under his wing. His name was Hal Kruth. And Hal basically said, hey, I've been practicing for 20 years. I've been in public uh, practice, uh, private practice. And the one thing I can tell you is that you need to connect your personal interests, your passions, and your talents with your work. If you do that, you're going to feel fulfilled and you're going to be energized uh, every day. Yeah. You know, um, if you don't do it, what you'll see is over time, your personal passions will go to the wayside. It'll be this kind of distant dream and it'll be incredibly difficult for you to have the sense of fulfillment. So before people were, were, were talking about purpose and per- personal purpose, that's essentially what he was telling me. And I took that to heart. And so I did the hard work around that and I've carried that through to every job. The other thing, the other decision I made was this. Uh, I, I, I just assumed that the industries, the companies that I would join, um, you know, I could try to climb the ladder, go 25, 30 years, get the gold watch at the end and and, and the celebratory retirement cake. Um, but that started to seem like that that vision was eroding all around yeah. me. You know, my father yeah. worked for thirty years at a company, um, but you could see it starting to fray and, and, and that that reality would not be um, true, at least from my perspective, uh, um, for me. and rather than be vulnerable to that changing environment, I made this decision. I said, I'm going to develop the skills and knowledge that are transferable and that are future leaning." And so I just focused on that maniacally. Um, so so um, transferable and future leaning. So I, I started thinking about the power of story. So no matter where you go, well, who you're speaking with, you know, and you don't have to be a marketer, the power of story is absolutely critical. I leaned in heavily towards technology because I knew that technology was going to drive a lot of what would happen in, in our daily lives. So I leaned in heavily toward that. And then uh, once I got into marketing, I developed the kind of core marketing skills, but then I started to try to reimagine where it was going and, and stretched to, in, into that area. But there's one thing I did across every single industry that, that probably has been the most effective for me is um, I looked at culture first and then looked back into the industry to see how it might affect the industry uh, and then try to develop a differentiated leadership position around that. I started from the outside um, uh, culture, then looked at the industry. And and for me, that's been a winning formula across multiple industries. Um, But but Jeffrey, each industry that I've been in, I've loved it. Um, And each industry that I've been been in um, has been core to my purpose of trying to expand people's potential. I saw that in music. I saw it at BuzzFeed. I saw it at PepsiCo. I actually believe it right here now at BlackRock.
1: You know, and people think about that from a CMO's perspective, they think, well, you've got to know this or you got to know that. No, we need to know marketing. We need to know the inception of the idea all the way through customer satisfaction. That's our job. That's what marketing is about. And whether you're selling a box of soap, cure for disease, it's pretty much the same.
2: 100%. You know, you know, for me, you know, marketing is about changing people's perceptions and their behaviors. And if you're not in tune with, you know, what's affecting their emotions, you know, um, what are the r- rituals that they're going through? What are the symbols that, that they celebrate? Uh, you know, who, who are the people they find relatable? If you're not in tune with that, and by the way, yeah. that changes over time, I don't know how you're going to do it. How are you going to change their perception and their behaviors? Um, the rigid formulas of, of, of some traditional marketing just don't work. And so for me, this, this period of change um, was helpful to me because what you need in the spirit of change are those transferable, adaptable skills.
1: When you talk about the spirit of change, you talking about the COVID thing? Are you talking about Black Lives Matter? What, Which piece of it?
2: All, all of it. So, so to yeah. me, um, so you look at the social dimension, um, more people are saying I've been left out of the prosperity that I see very few people enjoying. Um, that's not sustainable. Um, more people are, have uh, different expectations of companies they are joining. They're like, hey, you know, I love a company that's actually doing well, but I actually want to make sure that I'm contributing to something positive in society. Um, we're seeing a technology, the disruption of the nature of work, you know, with automation. Um, yeah. you know, we're, we're, seeing it, we're seeing it across all those domains. We're working
1: from home. I mean, oh, exactly. we're, you know. I just, talked to, I just talked to a family office uh, leader this morning who, who used to think it was imperative that he had to come into New York every day, every day, every day. Now he's going, no, I don't have to do that. <laughs>
2: yeah. it's we, changed. We, we were like that, by the way. We were convinced, we, we, we said, okay, we gotta minimize this time that we're away. Um, you know, we're our, our culture is a face-to-face culture. Yeah. And like this remote um, situation working from home is not going to work out really well for us at all. And it happened. And now BlackRock is operating outside the physical building in, in a way that we never could have imagined. So now we're much more flexible. We're saying we can never go back to this idea that someone can't have a more flexible work week or, or that right. someone can work remotely. Um, that is the new norm for us for sure, no matter what, how this plays out or, or when we start to hit uh, the new, new normal in, in the broader society.
1: And you guys got a nice building in New York. It's very nice. I've been there. It's a pretty swanko building.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, it's nice and, and we're moving uh we're building a new building over at hudson yards um, hudson
1: yards right yeah. yeah
2: but but you know um it, it will affect how we think about expanding space you know totally. um, because um I, you know i think some people will find them th- themselves more productive at home or some people may say i want to work uh from home three days a week and go in the office two two days a week uh we now realize that's possible and as you and i were saying as the technology gets better um yeah. Uh, it'll be it'll feel even more intimate and more connected, you know, as as and, and I see the technology getting better every month. It's just about um, and So I'm really optimistic about the, the virtual events and virtual meetings and and these kind of virtual conversations having a real impact.
1: Well, let me take a quick break. I'll be right back after this message.
0: C-Suite Radio.
1: Hey, we are back and we are live casting right here on Facebook and LinkedIn, as I have my good friend, the chief marketing officer at BlackRock, and it is Frank Cooper, and he's joining me. Now, of course, I've mentioned earlier he's from he's been at Def Jam Records, Motown, PepsiCo, BuzzFeed, and now BlackRock. Hey, which one's been your favorite so far?
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's the one I'm at
1: right now, BlackRock. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Good answer. Good answer. But you know, you always there's good, bad, and ugly when you leave somewhere. Yeah. And, and certainly always good when you get somewhere, but there's always pieces that you wish you could bring. Well, if, if, if you had to look at any of those companies, yeah. and I knew you first at PepsiCo, I think it was the first time right. I met you. Right. What, what little piece would you bring from any of those companies that you brought forward that like, man, that was my nugget that I have to bring? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's such a great question. Look, um, so in
2: the music industry, um, what I would bring forward is the connection to culture you know, having kind of a deep, empathetic sense of what is happening uh, in culture, how people are grouping together. Um, yeah. Music industry was great at that. Motown did it from the point of view of assimilating. Def Jam did it from the point of view of bringing people into um, kind of Black culture and, and reality of Black culture. Um, if, I, if I go to PepsiCo, I would definitely bring um, for this idea of a performance of purpose that Indra uh, promoted. Uh, It was really a powerful idea at the time and that's back in 2007, um, bringing that forward. At Buzzfeed, uh, it's it's the idea of combining data science with creativity. Um, It was an incredible system. For me, it wasn't about the listicles or the cat videos or even Tasty. It was about the system of having a creative sit next to a data scientist and creating a feedback loop so that you you can start to iterate and make your content more uh, effective. And so did they actually
1: people, sit? Did they actually sit next to each other? Did they actually talk to each other, or were they emailing yes. back and forth? They
2: were actually <laughs> sitting next. They were physically sitting next to each other, which is which is interesting because um, um, there was a, a big conversation about whether we should have the data scientists sit together um, because they could feed off each other, or sit next to the creative team. And, and we found it more effective to have smaller teams that were um, connected to each other in ways that um, were seamless.
0: Mm.
1: Very cool. So you make, made it a point to incorporate culture into branding. I mean, you keep bringing that word up and uh, I don't want to escape it. So do you think now more than ever, uh, purchasing decisions are informed by culture than anything else?
2: You know, I, I think it's always been informed by culture. It's just that, that the cultural element is becoming increasingly important. If you go way back to just people being concerned about the function of a product or the features and benefits of the product, this product has, you know, fluoride in it, uh, you know, or, you know, uh, these tires are non-flattening. Um, that's part of the culture, culture of science, really, where science became, kind of rose up and, and became a differentiating factor for, for customers. We're now, we're now in a space where people are looking for meaning and, and it it corresponds with a decline in trust in institutions. um, Many people feel like they can't turn to the traditional institutions as a source of meaning. And um, they can't turn to those institutions to guide them. And so of all things they're looking, well, among other things, I should say they're looking to, to brands and the brands that actually stand out, the ones that have real value stand in that, in that cultural void and help guide people forward. Um, whether that's Dove you know, um, um, and the Real Women campaign that they did. Or Nike standing in the void of not just being an athlete, but what does it mean uh, um, to stand up for social issues? Uh, and even at BlackRock right now, our, our standing in the void of saying more people should experience financial well-being, I think those are the brands that actually have true value to people because they're standing in that cultural void that exists today. And that cultural void is a void of meaning and that people are mm-hmm. searching for that.
1: I think people are beyond the words now, Frank. I, I think I think they're going to look and say, "Okay, you made a statement. Let's take Black Lives Matter, and we'll get into that for a little bit, if we can." You but I do want to come back to the company and what you're doing. But 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 I think this is an important this, a, important thing to to note that it used to be that you could put out a statement. Well, did it? Okay, I got a statement. I'm ahead of it. But you can't get by with that now. You've got to prove it. You've got to show it. You've got to, yeah. you've got to have action behind it. Then it gets that's your culture point, right? 100%.
2: I mean, I think that's a core part of the culture right now is actions are greater than words. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can put posters around your office. You can put out um, commercials. It will have, at best, a temporary effect. People want to see mm-hmm. your actions. But you know, Jeffrey, the thing that I'm really excited about is that People are also looking beyond the proximate causes of things. Instead of looking at the, you know, what's right in front of them and seeing um, that kind of interaction or problem or conflict, they're going behind it and saying, "What's the system that supports yeah. it?" Now, um, and who are the players within that system? Um, to me, that's getting at real change, and and I, it's the first time that I've seen it, and, and definitely in, in my lifetime. I think um, this is a really pivotal moment for for all of us because we're looking at systemic change happening on multiple levels across the globe and, and more people, ordinary people, lay people understand that that's the real issue.
1: Well, and I think, and more leaders need to understand, we have to address it. It not always about coming to agreements, about coming to understanding and about to, to, you know, to say, I can walk in your shoes. I can't walk in your shoes. There's no way, you know, I don't know if anyone's ever told you this, Frank, but you're black, right? I can't, I can't change that. I can't be that. But it, I th- there was an article in the New York Times here recently. I had a couple of executives, a couple of my friends that were black executives, very successful. And it starts talking about them being pulled over and, and, and jacked up, put good cuffs that everything, you know, or follow around a store because they, in a nice store where they're buying liquor, champagne and nice things. And, and because they're black they're the managers follow them around. Right. And, and Frank, Listen, I know you're a successful guy, educated, uh, respected. I think you're one of the best CMOs out there in in, in the world today. And d- has that ever happened to you? It's happened to me throughout my life.
2: Uh, you know, I'll, I'll tell you, when I when I was growing up, um, you know, not only I, I've been pulled over, I've been put on the ground, uh, you know, I've been handcuffed before, all, all for reasons that were completely unfounded. Um, yeah. And, 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 you know, over time, you start to, and many of my, my friends, my, my, my black friends will say, you know, we all kind of just internalize it and move on. You know, it's yeah. like, uh, and, and over time, you repress it. Uh, and we haven't discussed this, and in, it's in kind of a cathartic experience now that we're all discussing it because we've all been through it. And so, as I mentioned earlier, so finally I go to law school, and I'm like, okay, now I'm going to know the law no one's gonna be able to stop me in that way, and, and it was part of the fuel that I had in, in going to law school. I said, "I want to be, I want to be the most knowledgeable about that, so that that kind of stuff will never happen to me, but also I can protect others against it." And uh, a, a professor, Charles Ogletree, um, called the saturday meetings that we would go to and the first thing he said is congratulations you know you're in, in law school you're going to be part of you know an important group of people uh, moving out into the marketplace and you can help others he said but let me tell you one thing before you you get deluded um if and when you get pulled over by the police forget that you're uh, you're a harvard law graduate forget that because it doesn't matter right now when you get pulled over by the police keep your hands on the wheel and Know that that police officer is likely to perceive you as a black man. is likely to perceive you as a threat and act accordingly. You can say whatever you want to after after the fact, but don't start talking about the law, the constitutional rights. Just be, you know, just cooperate and get out alive. And mm-hmm. um, and he re- he's repeated that every year um, that he's been there, and it's the truth. Uh, and since then, I've been pulled over, uh, you know, for mm-hmm. you know, and, and let go. Um, um, yeah. But um, but you know the the indignity of it, and um, yeah. is is what kind of wears at you uh, on a daily basis and starts to grind you down. And 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 if, and we don't talk about it much, as I, as I mentioned before, but it definitely affects the psyche still.
1: You know, without question, and I and I think the biggest thing we had a big discussion over the Fourth of July with my family here in South Dakota about this very same thing. And, you know, someone actually made the comment, well, they, sh- you know, if someone's getting pulled over, it's because they've done something wrong or there's just some suspicion. I go, uh-uh, yeah. no way, Jose. <laughs> it's a co- your color of skin is going to determine whether you get p- p- pulled over the most part, and you're under suspicion immediately. Period. End of story. And they said, no, no. I said, no, I have friends. This is the way it happens. And I, I think it's opening people's eyes up like they've never had them open before. Yeah.
2: And look, I mean, some of these these stories have been told before. Um, the, the one difference right now is video, you know, the mo- mobile <laughs> phone and video. It, it right. changed everything. So you know, it's yeah. not just someone telling the story someone gets to, other people get to watch it now. See it. um, You know, without any annotation, without any narration, you watch it uh, um, for yourself and you judge for yourself what is happening. And in some instances, even if someone has committed a crime, you can see that uh, what is happening to the person who's being apprehended is still not just. Uh, And so. I think that's been the game changer, Jeffrey. It's like, because um, I'll tell you, these stories have been told many, many, many times and, and people's responses are, you know, most police are, not, are, 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 are good people. And that is true. And, and, um, and people say, well, the person must have done something in some instances that is true. But the systemic bias is what I think people did not fully believe. And, and now it's starting to come to light. Um, and the video is the evidence that actually erases any doubt.
1: Mm, well, the, the, visual, the visualness of that evidence is so important. And I think it's ingrained and get back to the culture piece that you're talking about. This is now p- part of our culture. It's out. I don't think it's ever going back in the bottle. I think it's going to be always out now, which I think is a, a very healthy for us. Does that help drive you to do the things? Because if, if I look at this, the issues around the issues that we're having today, To me they could be solved a lot of them by by money by wealth by the access to capital does that help drive you i'm going to ask you to answer that question right when i come back in
0: just a second c-suite radio
1: Hey, we're back live cast uh, on Facebook and LinkedIn as I talk to my good friend, Frank uh, Frank Cooper, the chief marketing officer of BlackRock. And of course, we're talking about culture. We're talking about all things that are happening right now in this world. And I asked him right before the break, do you believe that that helped what you've experienced in your life as a black executive, black man, black youth? and as an American and everything that you see here today, is that helping to fuel you for what you're doing with BlackRock in terms of helping people gain wealth? 100%. You know, look, I mean, first first and foremost,
2: I'm in the gap between people, uh, reducing this idea that, that the other, is so fundamentally different from you uh, i've always been fueled by that and I, I feel like in the early days at def jam and at um at, at motown that's what that's what we're doing we're closing that gap where people could actually understand black culture in a way that they otherwise could not um, but at the core of it wealth matters and and what's been fascinating to me is that if i look at culture again the well-being movement has been on fire, right? We've talked about physical fitness, we talk about nutrition, we talk about mindfulness, we talk about relationships, but we rarely talk about money. Money is still kind of a taboo topic, particularly in interpersonal conversations, um, but money is the number one source of anxiety and stress that most people experience. Um, um, People go to bed crying about money. Um, 41% of people who earn over $200,000 a year have, have cried in the past year over money and um, and yeah we don't and have we would a say most of those people system. are
1: well off i mean 74% of us workers today are living paycheck to paycheck i mean they have no financial right. freedom or mobility you know 100% 100% right and we and, and and no
2: matter how much you've been educated the most interesting thing about it is that we we're not taught the language and the skills of how we how we should have a relationship with money how we should no. earn it how to spend it how to save it how to invest it how to give it and um, I think there's a massive opportunity for us to step into in, into that void, uh, and the culture is ready now. Uh, when I when I see artists and celebrities uh, actually going out wanting to teach financial literacy of all things, you know, um, and and and, uh, um, and they're enthusiastic about it, you know, the culture is kind of speaking. It's saying that it's time for us to address that that last frontier of well-being. Which may be one of the most important uh, uh, dimensions of, of well-being, and so I'm particularly inspired by that because I think you know BlackRock can play a central role in that. Um, you know, we can help redefine what financial literacy is because right now it's it's really boring, it's really dry, and people will pass out from from the boredom of it. But it, is, it doesn't have to be if you if we tap into the way people communicate today, which is short form, visual, highly intuitive, um, we can actually uh, um, start to change perception and change behavior use language that is, is is incredibly simple but still carries the core concept there's there are ways for us to advance this you know, um, and help people um, reimagine their relationship with money
1: well you're spot on and i appreciate it and thank you for bringing that forward hey frank always great to talk to you wish you the very best right now be safe and uh thanks for for being on part of all business with jeffrey is here on c radio sure. Jeffrey, you're the best.
2: I always appreciate
1: it. Uh, thanks for having me on. It's great seeing you. Good to see you, my friend. We'll let you go. I know you got to get back to work. Go make some money. Go make some money. Go make I'm some no money and try make some it. other people <laughs> some money. All right. Thank you. All right. Hey, at the end of every show, I like to talk about what I learned. And I want to, first of all, thank you very much for joining us and being a part of this podcast. I always enjoy when I get a chance to talk to Frank. He's uh, one of the best CMOs out there. Uh, great conversation. I'll tell you what I I really picked up was about capturing culture. You got to pay attention to culture. Culture trumps everything. I'm telling you, it's, you know, there's an old saying, you know, culture eats strategy for lunch. You can dream up every kind of business, but if you don't, if you don't capture that customer, it's capture behavior, you know you're going to fail. And that's what I learned right here on All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett on C-Suite Radio. Don't forget, tell your friends. Thanks so much.
0: You're listening to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett, brought to you by C-Suite Radio, a podcast network featuring today's top business experts and is part of the C-Suite Network, the world's most trusted network of C-Suite executives. Find this and other business podcasts on C-Suite Radio.